Welcome to episode 34 of the Night Shift. Mike Stubbs and Kyle Grimard with you as we talk some London nights. We're not too far away from the skills competition that comes up on February 22nd. It's free. Doors open at Budweiser Gardens at 6. The skills get going at 6.30. Before then, we've got games against Sarnia and then another one against Sarnia and then Windsor. And so this proves to be a pretty tough stretch in the schedule for a different reason, not because the games are day after day after day, six and nine. But if you were to boil down the top three teams in the Western Conference, you're going to get London, you're going to get Windsor, you're going to get Sarnia. You probably even throw Kitchener into that mix because even though they sit in eighth place, that roster is good. That team is good. And the Knights came off a 5-4 overtime win over the Rangers on Tuesday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. No love lost. We'll talk about that in just a minute. You can follow us on socials at Stubbs980, at Kyle Grimard, Kyle, G-R-I-M-A-R-D. And you can find this show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, globalnews.ca. If you want to leave a review, if you want to send us a question, Question, or if there's somebody that you want us to find, a former knight that you haven't heard from, that you're always thinking, I wonder what this guy's doing now. Let us know. We'll find him. We'll talk to him. You can send an email at mike at 980cfpl.ca. Kyle, the Knights winning streak is up to nine games. They do it in dramatic fashion again on the road in Kitchener. The Rangers really wanted a win that night. They wanted to show after their coaching change, you know what? We got this. And they would have loved to have beaten London 6-2. to two. The Knights had a little something to say about that. Did they ever? Uh, coming back in the third period, a third period tying goal, I believe by Easton Cowan. And all of a sudden this game goes to overtime. And who else lately but Logan Mayu with the game winner. He has really uh, excelled over the last little while and established himself as one of the best offensive defensemen, maybe even overall defensemen, Mike. I don't know how it works there in uh, with, with what everyone's saying, but... He has really just found a way to take over lately. He has been fantastic. And when you have a difference maker on the back end, it's in a three-on-three situation where things are spread out a little bit more, you know, it gives guys like that a huge advantage. And Logan Mayu took full advantage and they gives them gives the Knights their ninth straight win. Logan scores in so many different ways. He can hammer the puck through you. He can wrist it around you and get a lot of zip on it. Or he can do what he did against Kitchener. This guy can make moves. He brought the puck down from the right point, cut in front, and in it went. He made the move that made the difference, and the Knights get the victory. That was his 20th goal of the season. And defensemen don't score 20 goals a lot in the OHL. So an absolutely massive milestone for Logan Mayhew on that game winner. At the other end of the ice, Zach Bowen, Kyle, earns his 14th consecutive win. The goaltender of the week in the OHL now has 14 straight victories. Uh, and it was a strange one, too, because it wasn't a game where he was totally busy. He only really faced 24 shots in the game. What's funny is London fired 28 shots through the first two periods, and it was the third period where they scored two goals on five shots. So they really took advantage of their opportunities in the third. But listen, again, when you look at Zach Bowen, you look at this performance, you're like, oh, he wasn't as good as he's been. You got to remember, one, he's a rookie. 
Two, he's not supposed to be the starting goaltender. The starter is Brett Brochu, and Zach Bowen is a rookie coming in as more of a relief guy, but he's played a lot more maybe than some people would have thought. But all you want your backup goaltender to do, or really even sometimes your goaltender to do, is give you a chance to win. And I think that's exactly what this game entailed for Zach Bowen. You know, makes 21 saves on the night, but gave London an opportunity, especially in the third period when they were trailing. You know, he faced eight shots compared to the five London had, only gave up the one, but kept London in it for a chance to go tie the game and then go win it in overtime. And look at the numbers. Zach Bowen in playing against the Kitchener Rangers is going to get noticed a lot more. Because in OHL statistics, he now has a thousand minutes, and that gives you entry into consideration among the leaders in every category. And so, if we look at Zach Bowen and his 1,000 minutes played, he now has the best save percentage in the Ontario Hockey League. He is number one in wow. save percentage in the OHL, 913. See, and that's, it's funny because that's a stat where unless you get to that, you know, that, that thousand minute mark, it's, you don't really would notice it from guys like uh, Zach Bowen or anything like that. But now we're going through and we're seeing some of the goaltending leaders on there. And yeah, you're right. If you click on save percentage, Zach Bowen right at the top there, Brett Brochu still, by the way, uh, top two in terms of goals against average, he has been fantastic as well. And when he comes back, we, we mentioned it's, it's a year where London has had a dynamic duo of goaltenders and Zach Bowen has really given London a significant advantage, especially when the team plays two, three games in three days or less than, and you can't just go to the one guy every single time because it tires him out. There's potential injury and you can go back and forth with a guy who is now within the top rankings of all of the Ontario hockey league goaltenders. You bet. And when you have that one, two punch and Brett Brochu is getting very close to returning and it could even be this coming weekend that we're about to talk about. So Brett Brochu is somebody that gives you that rock you know the competitiveness that he brings and all that he's been able to do for zach bowen this year is great and mentoring him so yeah one two punch very few teams have it but if you ask knights general manager mark hunter about one of the ingredients that you want to have to be successful in the playoffs it's that it's two goalies and anytime the knights have had some Really big success. They have normally had two very good goalies to rely on just in case of injury. You can take a look at whatever position you want. If you're going through a playoffs that is going to require 20 games or 22 games, maybe more, you have to realize that injuries are going to take place and you've got to be ready for those. So that bodes well for them. Kyle, if we look at a question, just a, a quick question. Who is making the difference for the Knights on a nightly basis throughout this winning streak? I love the answer. You ready for this? I'm ready. So if we go back to the big goals that were scored, you could even talk about three of them because Max McHugh scored a great big goal for the London Knights that brought them to within a tie. And then Easton Cowan scored a big goal and that got them to within a tie. And then Logan Mayhew wins it in overtime. So those are three different names. If we go back to the game before that against the Guelph Storm, Ryan Humphrey 
has the big game. Go back a night before, Denver Barkey has the big game. Go back even into the last time that the Knights faced the Kitchener Rangers in a comeback. Well, you look at Will Nickel with the big goal that tied the game, and then Denver Barkey wins it. You back up and you back up. I could keep backing up, and I'm going to keep saying different names. <laughs> Kyle, the Knights are getting a different guy to score the key goal night after night after night. And that itself is another thing that you want to have going into the playoffs where you're not getting contributions from one line. You're getting contributions from everywhere. Jacob Julian's name would come up very quickly on that list. And he typically is on what you would consider to be the Knights' fourth line. But he's contributing offense at key times. Uh, he really has. And just to put it in perspective, you know, if I go to the London Knights statistics right now, they have eight players with at least 33 points. Easton Cowan, Oliver Bonk, Gazazov, Brody Crane, Mayu, Barkey, Diaco, and McGurn. There's another two players who have had at least 23 points, whether it's Jackson Edward and Max McHugh. But there are very few players on this team that aren't at least in double-digit points. Like Jacob Julian's got double-digit points. Ryan Humphrey into that double-digit points. By the way, Ryan Humphrey was already in double-digit points. He's had double-digit points since joining the Knights. So that is the difference that he has made with this team as well. So it has been, like you said, it's been everybody grabbing the rope at the same time and pulling. And as we've seen in years past where maybe it's one, two or three guys that have been pulling themselves, you know, it's a lot harder when it's only coming from two to three guys versus you've got half a dozen to double digit guys who are making a significant difference. And it's not always one player you have to rely on each and every night. And at the top of the mountain is Sean McGurn at the moment. Knights co-captain who with 13 points in four games was named OHL player of the week. And we had a chance to ask Sean about what has grown in his game over the years. But first off, how you even find out you were named player of the week in the OHL. I just had uh, Adam, our social media guy, come out to me and say congrats on player of the week. So uh, yeah, I heard from him. So it was nice to hear. You knew what your points were. Were you looking around at all, or is this something that if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. No, I wasn't really thinking of it. I tried to just think of our next game and what, what, what the team's got going on, but uh, no, I wasn't thinking of it. Take us back. Take us back to when you first came to the London Knights, because you were a guy who, in your rookie season, like so many other rookies, it's not like you're playing every day, but you're around the team a whole lot. What do you try and absorb back then, if you think back to what you were doing then? Uh, I'm trying to think of what I was trying to do, like the little things that get me in the lineup back then. So that'd be like making the right plays on the walls and uh, trying to make a smart decision with the puck. And also when I was younger, it was about building my confidence with the puck. So trying to do all the little things right. And uh, yeah. You are so good on the wall. How do you become good along the wall? I think that's a lot of work in the summer almost. Like one of my skills coaches always like uh, trying to tries to focus on picking up pucks off rims and like, there's so much plays along the wall during the game, so having that in your toolbox is huge. Because that's not easy. I mean, there's sticks, there's feet in the way. Like you say, the puck's rimming around. Anything can happen. Is it a lot of hand-eye? Yeah, and a little bit of reacting and just stick handling and work on your hands at home and stuff like that, I think. All right, well, good luck. Keep it up. All right, thanks, Dubsy. That is Knights co-captain Sean McGurn, who along with the 13 points in four games actually had 16 points 
in five games in a wild run, part of this nine-game winning streak that the Knights have been on that saw them climb into first place in the Western Conference with a victory on Tuesday night. London and Windsor still jockeying back and forth. They meet up on family day. Next up for the Knights, though, Kyle, is a home-and-home with the Sarnia Sting. Games three and four of the Battle of the 402, and the Knights lead that two games to none right now. They could take a pretty firm hold on it with a win. If we look at Sarnia, they're three and three in their last six games. This is a really dangerous team, though. This is a team that when they get rolling, they can't be stopped. Those three wins in the three and three over the last six games have seen the Sting outscore their opponents 25 to four. They beat Sault Ste. Marie 12-1. They beat North nice. Bay, tough team to beat, 4-2. And then they walloped Guelph 9-1 this week. And then you mix in some of the losses, and it becomes pretty head-scratching. Because think about this. In the course of, of just a few days, the Sting beat the Sioux Greyhounds 12-1. to And then they played Sault Ste. Marie again, and they lost 7-3. Yeah, it's 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 almost like a flip a coin situation. And one night you're going to get the the unit that can put up double digit goals, and the next you might find a unit that maybe can't find their scoring touch and give up a couple of breaks. But you know, I will say this: you said they're three and three in their last six games. They had won their previous four games, so over their last ten, they are sitting at seven and three. So they have still done pretty well over the last ten games. But like you said, they are currently in a pretty solid, comfortable third position right now three points ahead of Owen Sound they've got a long ways to go if they are going to catch Windsor or London London has 15 points on them but it's not a team that you really want to get into a track meet with in terms of scoring simply due to the roster of players and you know the guy at the very top is Ty Voigt who is coming off a three assist game he's second in all of the Ontario Hockey League in points with 77 points in 50 games he leads the OHL and assists with 62 so he is a guy that is looking to make the pass first and he is looking to set up his line mates and he always finds a way onto the score sheet and sometimes when he doesn't he comes back the next night and put up four or five points to make up for the lack that he had the game prior it promises to be a great matchup that's what we can look at this battle of the 402 this is fun now remember this is the knights and the sting and their regular season series against one another there will be a little mini championship that can be celebrated the i-75 divide cup between saginaw and flint they gather around the cup and they do a team picture that's already been won this year by the saginaw spirit and so the knights and the sting will be doing the exact same thing kyle on friday night if you're listening to this before friday february 17th We are going to do something that's part of our 100th anniversary celebration at 980 CFPL. We're the home of the Knights. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring back a voice from the past who's going to be on the broadcast. If you think about the biggest Knights goals in history, it's pretty quick that a Matthew Kachuk Memorial Cup winner comes up, that a Bo Horvat goal with 0.1 seconds left comes up, that a whole lot of goals from the team of the century get talked about. The biggest goal in Knights history before Mark and Dale Hunter purchased the team was arguably Dan Eastman's game eight goal in 1977 that sent the London Knights to their first championship series. They went up against the Ottawa 67s, 
think about it, game eight, they were drained and didn't have a lot left against the Ottawa 67s, but they were there. The man who called that game and that goal was Gary Allen Price, one of the original voices of the London Knights. He's going to join us on the broadcast, and I'm hoping that he'll call some play-by-play. And that's coming up on Friday when the Knights take on the Sarnia Sting. But we had a chance to catch up with Gapper and talk about some of those games, including that goal that he called that was oh so famous in front of a jam-packed London Gardens in 1977. I remember a lot of things, Mike, and uh, I I have to tell you and and, uh, our listeners that uh, that was the highlight of my play-by-play sports broadcasting career uh, for a number of reasons. But I think in order to understand the significance of that goal, you really have to go back to the beginning of the season in September of 1976 when the, the intensity of that rivalry really began to ramp up in a preseason game at the old London Ice House in September of '76. Uh, there was actually a brawl, and that wasn't unique at that time because it was a time of the Broad Street bullies in the NHL and all that kind of stuff. And in the uh, exhibition game brawl, some of the Fin Cup players ended up going up into the stands, and that kind of set the tone for the intensity of the rivalry between the Knights and the Fin Cups through that season. And so we went through the season, and every game, it seemed, as had its own level of intensity and it and it continued to peak and it continued to peak and we got to the game that i remember in march of 1977 it was the march 8th game in st Catharines, and again there was a brawl in that game and what made that brawl unique was that the fin cups cleared the bench but the knights did not and so you had about 15 fin cups on the ice and five knights and i can tell you it was not a pretty sight And then about a month later, of course, those two teams ended up in a playoff series. And at the time, the playoff series were seven-point series. They did not play overtime. However, after seven games, the Knights and the Fin Cups were tied at seven points apiece. And so they went to a game eight. And I don't know this for a fact, Mike, but I may be the only hockey broadcaster in history who's ever called a game eight in what was supposed to be a seven-game series. And then it went into the overtime of Game 8, and I could share some of the details around that, and I will do that uh, perhaps tomorrow night if there's an opportunity. Uh, But in the overtime, uh, Rob Ramage uh, had a shot from the right point, and uh, Rob Ramage had a great shot, uh, one of the best on the team. And Dan Eastman was in the slot in front of the Fin Cup net. He tipped it. It went in. The Knights won it 3-2, to two, and I got a tad excited, Mike. You can understand that. And so uh, my call uh, has been remembered by at least a few people in town uh, ever since April of 1977. And I can tell you as a sports broadcaster, to have any call remembered by anybody for any reason for that length of time is pretty special. That's impressive. Gary Allen Price joining us. So what was the building like at that point inside London Gardens? Was that one of those nights where maybe the fire marshal looked the other way? Yeah, it it was full. And uh, at the time uh, we worked, I worked from the old press box, which was up above the Knights bench. 
Uh, the, the new press box had not been built as yet. So I'm above the Knights bench. The building is full. Uh, the teams are going crazy. Uh, the fans are going crazy. And uh, the one broadcaster was going crazy for sure. And uh, I still remember that puck going back to the right point, which was on the far side of the ice from where I was, and Rammer teeing it up and letting it go. And when that puck went into the net, uh, it, it was just a bedlam. And, you know, Mike, I think you can understand this. It was a great series to win, uh, but it was also a heartbreaking series to lose. And uh, that would have been the story uh, regardless of the outcome. Absolutely. And then the Knights did make it to their first championship series, their first league championship. And you talk to a lot of the players and they look back and they think, you know, we were just we were out of gas at that point. Yeah, that that's absolutely the case. Uh, the Knights advanced to the league final against Ottawa. Uh, the Knights were a far better team. Uh, their record proved it. Uh, their lineup proved it. Uh, and we all uh, really assumed that the Knights would beat Ottawa quite handily and we would go on to the Memorial Cup, which was uh, in Vancouver that year. But the Knights simply had nothing left in the tank. Uh, they tried hard. They gave it their best. Uh, but after uh, winning a series such as they had against St. Catharines, uh, nobody uh, had anything left, or at least enough uh, to win the next series. And so uh, while it was disappointing... Uh, in retrospect, I think it was understandable. Absolutely. Well, Gapper, we'll tell more stories tomorrow night, and we will have an absolute blast. Knights and Sting, and we can look back at a number of things, the number of guys that you were able to see coming through their junior careers who would go on to either star in professional hockey or go on to other great heights. Amazing names. Yeah, and I, and I would add this uh, too, Mike. I I, I – I'm very grateful for the opportunity to join you and Jim tomorrow night. And given that CFPL has served uh, the London community for 100 years now, and much of that service has been to the sports community, uh, it, it seems symbolic for somebody like me to come back on the air. And I feel as if in some way I'm representing all of the great sports broadcasters who have ever served uh, this community over the years. Uh, the greatest of whom, of course, uh, is and will always be Pete James. Uh, but there were many others, and uh, I'm sure we'll be able to talk about some of them again tomorrow night. Oh, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Gapper, thank you so much for this, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow, and we'll have some fun at a hockey game. Nothing beats that. Gary Allen thank Price, you, one we'll of the there. original voices of the London Knights. Kyle, big weekend. Sarnia, Sarnia, and Windsor on family day. You want measuring sticks? We've got three of them. Do we ever? And, you know, this, we talked about certain stretch of the, stretches of the season where the Knights, you know, could maybe take a point or two away and really grow themselves and, and try to catch up with Windsor. And now this is where, you know, you're seeing teams that are currently in playoff positions. Sarnia, Windsor, and, you know, they... They just played a game against Kitchener, who's trying to solidify their spot in the playoffs, too. So you're starting to see the play ramp up a little bit, a 4-3 overtime victory over Kitchener. You know, they play London hard every single time, and you're going to start seeing those matchups 
matchups increase in intensity in, you know, tightness around the front of the net. There's not going to be nearly as many scoring opportunities. And, you know, I know it's the OHL and there will still be chances had for both teams and still plenty of scoring. But I think now is when coaches really want to lock down certain systems and get a certain game plan in place, especially for who you're going to play against, right? Because sometimes the game plan changes if you're going up against a team where you know one player or two players are going to be doing the majority of the damage. And I very, I'm very intrigued to see how Sarnia is going to play London, especially in this home and home with London coming off the first two wins of the season against them. We will find out. Best way to do it, drop the puck. That'll be happening. Don't forget about the skills competition. It's free. It's February 22nd, and doors will open at 6 o'clock at Budweiser Gardens. Kyle, we'll talk next week. Yes, we will, Mike, and uh, go Knights go. It's going to be fun.